0: Stories Big guess: The big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, weekdays 12:30 to3 770 CHQR.:
1: Let's talk albums uh, up the top in this hour here. Could you come up with your 10 favorite albums of all time? Would they be specific to a certain genre or a certain period in your life? And I suspect maybe they would. Is it possible to objectively determine the greatest albums of all time? How would you compare the greatest rock album of all time to the greatest country music album of all time? I don't know if there's a way. So it's inherently subjective. Everybody's got opinions. There's been a lot of reaction uh, to what Rolling Stone announced this week. The uh, influential magazine has gone back and completely revamped its list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. Previously, The Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's, Uh, Lonely Hearts Club Band was the number one album of all time. It's now, I think, down to 24th behind other Beatles albums in the new ranking. Marvin Gaye's um, What's Going On is now the new ranking greatest album of all time. But there is a question, I think, too, underlying all of this, that does that end at some point? In other words, will we still be talking about albums a decade or two decades from now? I mean, already, it's pretty easy for bands to just churn out a song or a few songs and just put it out by Spotify or or whatever other means they have at their disposal. And there is a concern that maybe the whole concept of the album is a little going extinct. Anyway, joining us to talk more about all of this, very pleased to welcome to the program here this afternoon a friend Alan Cross, a music writer, broadcaster, historian. His website a journalofmusicalthings.com also hosts the Ongoing History of New Music podcast and co-hosts the Geeks and Beats podcast. Alan, great to have you with us here this afternoon. Welcome to the program.
0: Oh, this is, a, this is where we start to argue about what albums are better than others. <laughs> yes.
1: Well, the funny thing is, and I remember a while ago on Facebook, there was a trend of people posting like the 10 most important albums to them. And I, like I thought about it, I'm like, I don't know if I could, first of all. And I do think that they were probably mostly of the same genre. Probably most of them would be albums between, you know, my late teens and, and early, early 20s. I think a lot of us have those kind of biases, don't we?
0: Yeah, there's a very sweet spot in our lives, usually from the time we enter high school to the time we graduate college or university and get out into the real world. It's about ages 14 to 24. And during that time, we use music to discover who we are, and we also use music to tell the world uh, about who we about who we are as well. Yeah. We use it to pro- project our identity. And uh, there's a saying that somebody wrote once... Uh, every generation has a biological right to believe the music of their youth is the greatest music of all time. Right. And that, that's the way it works. I mean, whenever you know, you're know you in your mid-40s, let's say, and you're stressed and uh, you, you need some music to make you feel better, where do you go? You go to the, to the tried and true, the music that made you feel good when you were younger. And this changes from generation to generation to generation. And uh, it, it, the older you get, the more... The, the busier you are, the, the less inclin, uh, inclined you are to listen and discover and search uh, search out new music, uh, that you always go back to those those favorite records.
1: Yeah, and the passage of time has a big impact, too. And I remember we, we had a conversation not too long ago about the impact of, of Nirvana, for example, and, and their album Nevermind. And I was in high school when that came out, and I remember, yeah, everyone was into it. It was a big hit. I don't think anybody in 1992 was declaring this to be one of the greatest albums of all time, but... And with hindsight, the passage of time, we see the influence it had, of course, Kurt Cobain dying, that that's going to have an impact as well. It's now in the top ten on this Rolling Stone list. It's seen as one of the greatest albums of all time.
0: You can't have a greatest album of all, of all time without time passing. Uh, the album has to marinate. It has to prove its timelessness. And you know, I had a conversation with somebody yesterday about this, saying, hey, you know, I don't see any contemporary albums on here." Oh, of course you don't. Because... To be the greatest of all time, time has to pass, and several generations have to come to, the, to agreement that this album truly is one of the greatest of all time.
1: There is the genre issue, too, and we, we had this conversation recently when it comes to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and should there be a Country Music Hall of Fame and a Hip Hop Hall of Fame and an R&B Hall of Fame, you know, can you compare the greatness of a rock album to the greatness uh, of uh, a country album or a rap album that to try to put them all into one big stew here as Rolling Stone does it, it, it's a challenge, isn't it? It
0: it is a challenge, but I think it's a laudable one because if you're, you know, when you have a list like this, what you're looking for uh, is, is the greatest music of all time, the greatest artistic statements done through music that have ever been done and if you look at it that way then you strip out this whole idea of genre and you just recognize the artistry for what it is a lot of people can't do that though they think that well it should be either one or the other or the other or the other genre i i I appreciate what rolling stone's trying to do here it did need an update because the last time we did this in 2012 uh you know hip-hop was underrepresented there was some uh The the music the uh, the list was certainly a lot wider uh, back then. So you know mm-hmm. times change, attitudes change, albums and artists are reevaluated. Same thing with genres and sounds and themes. And every once in a while, you know, history is a moving target. Things get updated, and you know, good for Rolling Stone for doing this. That being said, I don't agree with a lot of the stuff on this on this <laughs>
1: list. Yeah, and I, you'd probably be hard-pressed to find somebody who says, this is perfect, this is exactly as I think it should be. So everybody's going to have some beef with it, I'm, I'm sure. But there is a question, too, that we can get into, Alan, is that, you know, will there be a, a future update of this? Will there be albums from 2027 that that are on some future list? I mean, are, are bands or musicians, are they still going to be putting out albums? We're kind of at a, a tipping point, almost, it feels like.
0: Right. Now, the, the album is something that has been really with us in terms of uh, contemporary music, popular music, since about you know 1965, when we had people like Bob Dylan and the Beatles putting out albums yeah. as these cohesive packages of a unified musical statement. Uh, before that, rock and roll and pop music was essentially you know seven-inch singles or, or or 78 rpm singles. Uh, the album, which was reduced, uh, introduced in 1948, was for good music uh, such as uh Broadway show tunes, jazz, classical music, that sort of thing. Uh 7-inch singles were were considered to be the format for for disposable pop music. But that began to change in 1965 and uh we have been living with the the album as the main currency of the music industry for what is that uh 55 years. Mm -hmm. So uh, things, however, are now beginning to change. People are listening to music, uh, songs individually as part of playlists or streams. And uh, some artists, especially in the hip-hop genre, uh, have abandoned the idea of a full album, almost entirely choosing to release a series of singles, you know, drip, 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 and then maybe releasing an EP with a compilation of those singles and maybe one or two other tracks. Uh, there are still some that release albums after a while. Drake, for example, being being one of them, um, be, probably mostly because uh, the industry still functions, still pivots around this notion of an album. I mean, we look at things like awards, we look at things like uh, contracts with record labels. What are they based on? They're based on the number of albums that you deliver. We're still talking about albums when it comes to certain types of radio stations. We're still still talking about albums when it comes to physical record stores. So the album itself, as a physical entity, uh, is is still still quite important. As a as a virtual one, it's not so much because if you start analyzing what let's say is being played on Spotify, the big songs that are or the songs that are getting all the attention. Are the singles and uh, the, the album tracks, the deep cuts, uh, aren't getting any attention at all. So if I'm an artist, I'm looking at this going, well, OK, if I'm not selling albums and I have to rely on streaming for an income, why am I busting my hump recording all these tracks for an album that nobody will hear?
1: yeah it's it's interesting and I, there was an interview I, I saw with uh, Adam Levine from Maroon Five, and he was asked that question cause they put out i think they got a new song out before before they released a new album and and he sort of you know mentioned kind of what you said that in a way the, the music industry it's it's almost like the 1950s again, where it's just about the songs, it's just about getting music out there and obviously technologically we' we're, we're a long way from the 50s. but in that sense. It's it's come almost full circle that you know the concept of the album came along after the 50s and in a way, we've kind of gone back to that. Did you see it that way?
0: Yeah, I mean, look what the Beatles used to do. The Beatles used to release really, really, really single after single after single, and every six months they would have an album. That's how it worked. Uh, the album was simply a collection of previously released singles and B-sides with a couple of other tracks thrown in. We get to 1967, though, and we have Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which was a groundbreaking record because it was this conceptual artistic piece that was meant to be listened to in one sitting in a particular order. And after that, other artists thought, okay, well, this this is how I want to present my music to the world. It's It's kind of like the the musical equivalent of a novel. And I want you to start at chapter one and I want you to finish with the epilogue. Uh, and, and that's the way we've been treating albums for a very long time. But thanks to technology and streaming and short attention spans and everything else that goes along with it, we are um, getting away from, from this idea of, of these cohesive collections of songs. Part of the reason we're getting away from it is because we can skip through songs. And this began with the CD player in 1985-ish when people started buying CDs in great numbers and realized that if they came across a song, all they had to do was pick up... Uh, came across a song they didn't like, all they had to do was pick up the remote and hit the skip button go to the next one, uh, which is something that you couldn't do with an album. Uh, you would have to put the needle on at the beginning of the record, and if a song came up that you didn't like, well, you just... Let it play through because you knew that the song after was going to be something that you liked. And eventually what might have happened is that you would have learned to like the song that you initially disliked. And I'll give you a great example. I bought Led Zeppelin four. Great record. It opens up with Black Dog, then it goes into rock and roll. And then track number three is this weird mandolin thing called Battle of Evermore. What a terrible song. And then we get into Stairway to Heaven, and I'm happy, right? So I, I would put on Side 1 of Love and Zeppelin 4 again and again and again, and, again and you know, here's Battle of Evermore again. But after a while, this repeated unintentional exposure to this song made me realize that, no, no, this is a fantastic piece of music. But because, And I wouldn't have realized that had I not been forced to listen to it over and over and over again. We're never... Today, we're not being forced to listen to anything anymore unless, you know, we're caught in an office and somebody else has control of the music. But if the moment we hear something we don't like, boom, we skip it. And, and that was the beginning of the end for enjoying albums as a whole.
1: Well, it's interesting. National Album Day is uh, coming up next month. I'm sure there'll be a lot of conversation around some of these trends. Much more at a com. Alan, thanks so much for joining us here today. I always appreciate it. Anytime. Take care. Uh, that is music writer, broadcaster, historian Alan Cross at Journal of Musical and also, of course, his podcast, uh, The Ongoing History of New Music, and uh, co hosts the Geeks and Beats podcast as well, in some in depth conversation about the music industry. I mean, I, I hope albums stick around. Ultimately, well, I don't know. It's an interesting question. Is it up to the artist or is it up to the consumer? Now maybe it's both. I mean, if you know, Taylor Swift, you take someone who's you know, incredibly influential, says, well, I'm only going to release music and albums. Well, who's going to stop her? Um, but if consumers don't care, it's like, well, I like this song, so why should I have to wait for you to write 20 other songs or whatever, right? Give me that song now so I can listen to it. Anyway, 403-974-8255 is the number here, 974-TALK. We are back with more right after this.